Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We're talking careers and money. Two very important things that can make or break your life. We've got a special guest who is in HR today. So let's have a bit of a chat. Might even keep that one. (laughs) Happy with that? Very happy with that intro, John. Excellent. Yeah. You know, Mm. sometimes we have to redo them. But anyway, we've got Emily Bowen. Hey, Emily. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Thank you. So, Emily is... Sorry, what is your title? <laughs> is it HR consultant? Can you introduce uh, look, yourself, please? Yeah, yeah, look, my title is manager, yeah. um, which is reasonably nondescript. So, yeah. what I look after is a few different niche areas of specialisation at Forsyth Recruitment and HR. So, we're a consultancy. Sweet. I don't even have to re-edit that and ask you again because uh, I think we salvaged that. Beautiful. But um, shout out, hey, if this is your first ever episode, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for checking us out. And make yourself at home, take your pants off, unzip your <laughs> fly and <laughs> I don't know. This is a career episode. This is a career. Anyway, best behavior, everyone. John, yes, you're on your best behavior absolutely. today. Absolutely. Otherwise, so, you get the sack. But welcome if you. this is your first episode. Uh, it's great to have you here checking out our podcast. Uh, we will try and be on our best behavior. We'll try and make it clear, concise and to the point. So, Emily, I yes, put it Glenn. up on Instagram. I've got some questions. Mm. Don't want to put you on the spot too much. Little bit though. Little bit though. John's probably going to make some stuff up. We're going to talk about how to get the dream job, how to change to the dream job, how to get your first job out of uni. Yep. How to write the best resume, how to make sure that you're not crazy and the grass is going to be greener. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. Let's have a chat about your career and your money right now. You're listening to My Millennial Money. Glenn helped me dig myself out of financial debt. Now my only debt is towards this podcast, where I'm forced to provide you with all these voiceovers without financial compensation. Forever. Real talk. Got my barbecue grill over here. Yeah, I can see it. What are the benefits of going to a recruiter for Mm, the job seeker? Okay. It's an interesting question and I think a lot of people, perhaps particularly early in their career, may not have even heard of a recruiter, may not have a clue what they do or may have a misunderstanding. So I guess one of the things that I just want to point out up front is I'm not going to be talking today or when I'm talking about recruitment agencies or recruitment consultancies, not talking about what you might hear called a job network provider. So I think that's a really important distinction to make. they're kind of like community service things, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yep. So government funded. Yes. And so typically if you're um, working with Centrelink or you've been long-term or longer-term unemployed, um, they're a, a service that the government provides through funding organisations. Perfect. So today we're a free market podcast. It's not a socialist society. Is that what we're saying? I think that's what we're saying. <laughs> okay. So um, – Recruitment consultancies can be really, really valuable as one piece of the puzzle. And so that's another point that I'll, you'll hear me echo um, in basically everything I talk about and all, all sort of the insights that I have. Um, you want to use them as one tool in your toolkit. So yes, absolutely go and talk to a recruitment consultancy, uh, but don't think that they're there to get you a job because the other distinction I think it's important to make is that it's not going to cost you anything, uh, but actually they're at the service of the client, the client being the company. So it's the company or the organisation that's employing people that's paying their bills. And so first and foremost, that's where their priority lies. So in our world, is it the equivalent of a mortgage broker? I would say it no. Okay. Not, not quite. Good to clarify that. <laughs> so I guess the difference is I'm really mindful that often when I hear you guys describe what a mortgage broker does and the service, they're at the service of the individual person who's looking for a home loan. 
and I'm really talking in layman's terms here, I guess, and they're being paid a commission, obviously, depending on the product um, from the bank. The difference is that we are paid a fee from the employer company and our job is to go and find them the right employee. So we absolutely want the best for the candidates that we're considering. And the reason we want the best is because then it means we can get the best person for that employer. But at the end of the day, if we're being a little bit cutthroat for the sake of simplicity in this conversation, our client is the employer. That's who's paying our bills. Sure. But the thing, if I open the hood on recruiters, Mm. it might... So if John, you've got a big company... You might pay a recruiter twenty grand mm. to find you the best talent for your job, and it might be a hundred twenty grand roll, right? Yeah. And you might pay the recruiter twenty grand. Mm. Now, some recruiting agencies, and we're not speaking on behalf of uh, Forsyth's recruitment and HR here, but if that candidate quits or leaves within the first three or whatever period it is, mm. they're entitled to a fee refund. In some yeah, instances. In, in some, yeah, so in some instances, but also typically what it looks like, so it would be called a guarantee period and it basically means that if, yeah, that person doesn't work out, we'll yeah. find you another one. Or get your money back. Uh, at some point. So look the, at the contract. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so the first point would be, look, can we find you somebody else who could do the job really well in a reasonable time frame? Uh, if we absolutely can't, then yeah, some sort of credit or refund would be typically applicable. Sweet. So, that's kind of setting the scene on a recruiter. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I definitely want to reiterate that the candidate is king or queen in our world because that is their product. Yes. And we need that to be quality and it's all about relationships. But also, typically, if somebody's a candidate and they get a great job or they have a really great experience with us, even if they don't get a job through us, they might become now or in the future a decision maker in a business and it's full circle. Yeah. Mm. And actually, I didn't actually think of this uh, until just then. I will talk about the benefits of a recruiter from my point of view. When I moved and started my career in finance, I came from a trade. I didn't know anyone in that world. Mm. So, I went to a, a, so, I went to a recruiter who specialized in financial services. Now, what that recruiter, I guess, does, they can actually do the basic admin skills, maybe some psychology testing or whatever, just to get a bit of a profile. And they can say, look, we've got three jobs here in a mortgage broking firm, financial planning firm. Your personality probably doesn't fit that role, but we can introduce you to this person. So, they're a good good job broker for me in a world that I didn't understand. And the cool thing was, they're always talking to businesses I went down for an interview for a job at the recruiter and then I got there and they said, look, we are really sorry. 15 minutes ago, the job we were going to place you and put you forward to, it's fallen through. In some weird freak of nature, we've also just got an email that one we placed last week has fallen through and we think you'd be perfect for. Yep. So it's just, you're in that world and that was the job. Yeah that I did all my training with. Yeah. And it was an it was a miracle like it was crazy. Absolutely. And my point is absolutely not that we don't care about you. It's just simply managing those expectations that you can't rely on a recruitment consultancy as a guaranteed job. You just want to use that as one of your little tools in your toolkit when you're searching for a job and they know about jobs that are available that are not advertised. They also know about the mm. market. So I hope your experience, Glenn, um, allowed you to get some insights into maybe how to make the transition, what was happening in the market. And even if they don't have anything right away, uh, your story is not unique in that all sorts of things happen all well, the time. It's like it's an ecosystem. And yep. when all things are working properly, it's a win-win. Yep, absolutely. And you, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I guess my other question is, should somebody reach out to a should somebody reach out to a recruiter if they are maybe looking for something else definitely so it's confidential completely and even in our business um, if you're coming into our office or you're meeting with us we make sure that that's uh, as I guess confidential and, and we're really sensitive to that so um, you know we're not going to I can't promise this on behalf of the whole industry, uh, but best practice is not to talk about you or send your details to an employer or talk to an employer about you unless we've got your permission. So if you're starting to think, look, I might 
like to look at what's out there um, or you're really active and it's uh, a very obvious thing that you're doing, I'd absolutely recommend you do because you just never know what value you might get out of it and it's part of that ecosystem it's part of that networking mm. and we have relationships with candidates as i say where they go full circle one day they're a client and then years later they're a candidate but also we have many candidates who we've built relationships with where we place them time and time again throughout their whole career into a new role yeah and i would i would think emily as using a recruiter that you would more often than not get a better outcome because you know the culture of the company that you're dealing with and you know the individual's personality obviously the resume is being given but that's just the qualifications and a a bit of fluff but essentially you can gel the two together can't you yeah absolutely and i would say similar that's where there's a similarity to a mortgage broker in that we will look at what is best for both parties involved make that much and, and it could be simple like i was remembering the other day my mum used to say growing up oh they're rough as guts for example like if they're talking about someone you know a bit rough around the edges you might have somebody who's a bit rough then you, and you're just not going to put them forward and waste their time yeah. applying for that yeah. position but this position here could be perfect yeah absolutely so i think there's there's lots of benefits for um this ecosystem and i will say I just thought of a really cool, cool, cool reason why you might use a recruiter. Why is that? If you're relocating interstate mm. and it's same industry and you might not have the connections. It could be a, hey, I want to move over to the East Coast or the West Coast. Could happen within the next six months if you see anything that pops up. So, th- And it could just, you could hit the ground running. Yeah. Because totally. that's what you want. Like, you want to always, if you are relocating, you want to land and hit the ground running. Mm. You don't want to relocate and go, I hope I get a job. Like, yeah. So it could be a good tool in that regard. Yeah. And look, generalization is a comment that I'm about to make, but I think that sometimes you can build a relationship with a recruiter where if you're not in the same state or the same city, they can better represent you as opposed to if you just chucked your hat in the ring on seek and you're in a pile of resumes, yeah. uh, you just feel a little bit harder because you're further away than the person that lives around the block. And so unless you have some sort of unique skill set to make you worth the wait, worth the trouble, worth the effort, you're at risk, higher risk, because it's all risk management, of an employer overlooking you for somebody closer. Whether they should or not, unfortunately, that's it happens. So I guess, and this wasn't even in my list of questions to ask you, but we'll go there. We have no idea who's listening to these podcasts. Mm. There is a high chance that someone's listening who is in a role who hires talent for the business. Mm. There is an argument to outsource that filtering into somebody like yourself, a recruiter, right? Absolutely. Like, sure, there's a fee involved, but it's that cost benefit and outsourcing the admin time that you would take to a high protein recruitment agency like yeah. the one you're with. Yeah, look, I think there's um, an admin benefit in the sense that we'll do that work. So if they're too busy, we're an extra pair of hands, but I think there's also an expertise benefit. So us having that really in-depth understanding of the candidate market, of candidates, of what's available, uh, we can actually offer that advice back towards the employer as well and help them craft the role and design the role and find that person for them. Do they see you as, are they intimidated by you or are they happy to work alongside you? How does it usually work? What if there's an internal HR department? Yeah. So I would say that the most of the time they're really happy to work with us and like any service industry, you do your best to work with clients that value you. Yeah. So I think if they don't value the work that we do, then they won't pay. You sack them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Fire your clients. Yeah. Um, look, yeah, I think we do a pretty good job at working with clients that do value what we do. There are a lot of uh, internal recruiters and internal HR people who have come from yep. agency um, and moved over to client side. So then it becomes a do are they spread too thin and they just need that extra support. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, look, I yeah. think you could go on and on, but m- for the majority, like any industry, it's a really good relationship. Mm. Yeah, good. So, Emily, what would you say is the single most important thing when Ooh. it comes to looking for a job? Okay, single most important is the thing. One. Yeah, the, the one thing. Look, I, I would suggest something that if you have nothing else will 
see you be successful is something I like to call career self-reliance. Have you guys heard the term career self-reliance before? Nope. Not Getting officially. shakes of the no. head. Okay. Well, <laughs> consider it official. Uh, basically, career self-reliance, my definition of that is being very reliant on yourself and being very active in your own career management. But what I would say uh, is important to note is that that's not just when you're looking for a job. That's actually, this is infinite. So this is an infinite game that you are always playing in order to remain relevant and employable. And whether that's while you're in a role, as I say, or that's while you're looking for a job, setting yourself up for success when you're ready, so that when you're ready, you're actually uh, very attractive to the next yeah, employer. Okay. So it, one word that springs to mind when you say that is mm-hmm. initiative. Is that yeah. something that you look at Absolutely. as a really important point? Absolutely. And that can simply be upkeeping your skills. Yep. It can be maintaining that, uh, I guess, learner within you, whether it's formally or informally, or it can be... Um, volunteering on a board, volunteering to develop your skills. I mean, I think about um, Photogate, if I can refer back to what happened in Melbourne. Oh, (laughs) um, Oh, my goodness. And I, you know, I've absolutely got my opinion on that. But if you are building your career, whether you're early in your career or during your career, just knowing that it's on you and avoiding silver platter syndrome, no one is going to come and hand you. And Anything on a silver platter. Like you would you would meet with hundreds of candidates throughout the year, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, it's so important. We talk about mindset a lot on this podcast, do we? Yeah. Oh, we do? I, yeah, I think I organically we <laughs> do. Yeah. 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 I mean, this, the subtle undertones, right? You've got to have the view that the world isn't out to get you. Mm, totally. You're not a victim. Mm. You know, you... I'm going out on a limb. If you're listening to this podcast, I don't care if you're in London, Paris, Minnesota, Melbourne, like the fact that you're listening to this, you're probably in the top 10% in the world. So, and, and I'd say you'd and, have a reasonable mindset too because you've... You yeah, can, but I, I mean, it's just like we already have so much opportunity from where you were born into. So, if you want to get philosophical, the fact mm. that you're listening to this podcast, you've got more opportunity than most of the people on the planet. So, to transfer or translate that into when you're going to see the recruiter or the employer for mm. when it gets to that interview... How are you conducting? Are you walking in expecting to have this mm. sense of entitlement? Mm. Or are you like, hey, I'm here. How can I add value? Like, that's kind of the vibe. And you would, as much as the employer may make the final decision, if you present them three people to interview, yep. you might have talked to four people or five people mm. to shortlist them. Now, if they're not carrying themselves with a good attitude, even though they're highly skilled, they might not even make your shortlist. Absolutely, yep. And I think that these days, uh, a lot of people, you're right, everybody um, that's listening to this podcast is probably starting on a a pretty good wicket just in life. Uh, But also there are many people out there that have a university degree. There are many people out there that have experience in their trade, in inverted commas. So what else are you doing to make yourself competitive and relevant? education... If it's binarily like yes or no, that's now hygiene mm, for some it roles, is. isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think everyone starts on a level playing field, and mm. and if you're going in with the attitude of there's always someone out there better than me, then you're always in a position where you should be trying to improve yourself. Um, and just creating choices for yourself too. So uh, something that recruiters will do, just to use them as an example again, but also employers directly more and more particularly the big guys is they will come and tap you on the shoulder on LinkedIn or on seek talent search which make just it's removed so many barriers so you want to look attractive yeah question Mm. you're a um you as in you out there listening you're a, a an employee of a company or whatever how important do you think it is to have your LinkedIn profile active more important if you are looking to enhance your career or just use it as a live resume what's your view on linkedin for the average punter must have must have yeah and keep it up to date and this is not again this is not just about what you want right now this is about setting yourself up 
for the future as well and giving yourself options. So again, this is these days, it's not simply you see a job advertised, you use your resume to apply for that job, you may or may not get that job. There's so much more to it and LinkedIn is a huge part of that. Yeah. You have to have some hard conversations with with um, clients that aren't willing to, to change the way they're approaching things? I think we have to have conversations with them. It's unusual for it to get hard yeah. because usually what we do is work really cons- – well, we always work really consultatively. And so usually what we'll do is right from the get-go be talking to them about what is your unicorn, what is the ultimate wish list, but then also can we work backwards from that? Mm. Where are the compromise points? And the same goes for an individual looking for a job. What is the dream? But then what is the work backwards from there? Whether it's because you're looking at what steps can you take incrementally to get to the dream job or because you're looking for a unicorn job and yeah. we just need to adjust expectations. It, it might not be a hard conversation for you, but it might mm. be hard for them to hear that yeah. they're lazy as hell and they're not prepared <laughs> to do the extra bit. Possibly. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you're right. Now, okay, so the single most important thing is the career self-reliance so you're actively out there doing courses which is in your career and in your world that you haven't been asked to do you're doing it because you're interested and you're engaged yeah or it might not be courses it might be volunteering it might be board positions quite inexpensive stuff are you sick of living week to week or perhaps not having any money saved or even stressing out when rego comes around it might feel that your life just goes round and round and round because your money's going around and around and around. I've got a solution. We can change your life within a matter of weeks. It's the Glen James Spending Plan. The people who have completed this course have paid off credit card debt, have money saved, feel more free than ever before. And this will happen within the first couple of pay cycles. So follow the link in the show notes wherever you listen to this podcast. Use the promo code and change your life like hundreds of My Millennial Money listeners have done so already. I look forward to seeing you in the course and helping you really sort your money out. Hey, just a reminder, we run two other podcasts, My Millennial Money Property. It's about property, that's all. And if you're under 23 years old, Gen Z Money, it's for you. Check them out now wherever you're listening to this podcast. What makes a good resume and then I guess... Like, what's the point of a cover letter? Like, should someone be focusing on the cover letter as the hook or the resume? What's your vibe on that? Sure. So, I think they're both really important and you'll still see sometimes that um, a cover letter is requested. What I would suggest, though, is that they're for two different things. So, a resume is much more clinical and much more objective. It's an opportunity to demonstrate the responsibilities that you've had and the achievements that you've had in your career, usually in a chronological order under each role. Whereas your cover letter, and can I recommend no more than one page, is an opportunity. Who's doing a cover letter more than one page? <laughs> oh, they go well over. Doesn't, wow. co- doesn't cover clear enough in its description? Well, uh, I know, cover letter, yeah. And hot tip, white space is your friend for both cover yeah. letters and resumes. The more white space, the better. So a cover letter is an opportunity to tell a little bit more of a narrative. So for example, if you are relocating or you are looking to change careers, it's that opportunity to try and hook the reader on your story and add some value in, I guess, a little bit more of an emotive way. So when I say that, I absolutely don't mean um, to get too sort of feelings based, but certainly you've got that opportunity to tell a story that you can't do in your resume. You know, the best thing I saw was... And I guess it's it's different and it's that dance between over the top. But like if you're a graphic designer, do like an infographic as your yeah. resume and cool stuff like that. A bit that. more personality. Yeah, or um, I was applying for an award um, a couple of years ago and on the application, I did the formal application, but at the top I said, please go to www.glenjames.com/award or whatever and I yeah. gave them a password and then it was a dedicated website to the award where there's a video on there and really got creative because again you want to stand out you do you do but you also want to make it easy for your reader exactly so i would also just um point out that a couple of things unfortunately i'm probably not going to spend more than 
They say six. Uh, so we'll say on average six seconds, uh, six seconds looking at your resume on first glance. Yeah. And you need to grab me with uh, the relevance and making it really easy to read and tailor it to me as the audience, not to yourself uh, as the writer and have me be hooked in order for me to spend any more time than that. Because my first look is, are you going in the no pile or are you going in the maybe pile? Because yeah. mm. you get so many of them. That's exactly yeah. right. What's the biggest issue when you see a resume that just keeps coming up other than typos? <laughs> what do you mean when you say a resume that just keeps coming up? Like as in you see the same mistake. The biggest oh. problem over again. Um, so. Too many jobs? Yeah, look, too many jobs is up there, but... It's got to be, it's hard for me to split between either length. So if you've got a contents page on your resume, oh, no. you've gone oh. so far past. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, wow. So try and keep it three pages. If you're in your 20s, I might give you a fourth page if you're moving sort of into your 30s or, or 40. Yeah. Uh, but also writing it for yourself rather than your reader. So people often, um, they'll be 30 years old, they'll have a really wonderful experience, level of experience that they're demonstrating, great achievements. They may have completed some sort of education beyond a HSC, but they're still holding on to their HSC or they're still holding on to some sporting achievement from when they were 12. <laughs> Let it go. It's important to them. <laughs> it is important to them, but that's not, I don't care. Yeah. It's yeah. not important to us in the context of looking at your resume for this job. Yeah, and would you say like if you are over 30 and you've had 10 jobs, just list the most recent four and if there's other 10 plus others between 2000 and X or whatever. Yeah, like, so definitely summarise. So yeah. I typically say go back about 10 years and then beyond that or further away than that, it's a, just a summary to show continuity of working history, to show that you didn't start working late 20s, you actually were doing something from earlier than that, but certainly summarise. If someone was fired from a job, one, you're not probably going to give that role as a referee and I'll get onto mm. that. But I think it's funny on LinkedIn, I'm like, what's your, I'm exploring opportunities. <laughs> Basically means you got sacked and you're trying yeah, to Yeah, I mean, looking <laughs> for other opportunities. Um. Yeah. So, so when you, like... Um, back in the day, I was uh, running a franchise company and, and was recruiting franchisees or new franchise trainers coming into the business. Um, I would rarely look at their referees. I, I used to go a lot on gut feel and experience and those sort of things. Um, obviously, we need referees. Um, rarely do referees have a bad word to say about the person if, yeah, they're, I've had a if few, they're smart but enough. But it's not often. Yeah, so who, who do you prioritise as putting on there? So referees, in some respects, I can see that they could be considered a bit of an old school thing to include in a recruitment process, but they are one of the only ways for us to third party verify or corroborate what you're telling us. So they are still relevant. What you would most likely want to achieve with your referees is the ability for the recruiter or the employer to be able to talk to someone who, yes, absolutely will say nice things about you, but also can speak well just in general. So one of the most difficult things I find is if I call to do a reference check and the person on the other end is a poor communicator, yeah. it's not doing you any favours. Similarly, if they don't know your work and they can't speak to your work yeah. intimately, it doesn't do you any favours. And this is a – I'd like to, if I can, just – pause on this for one second because it's actually really critical to have good referees uh, in the sense that often they're the final hurdle. So if it's getting close to it being down to you and one other right. person, scarily, it can actually be based on your referees, not you, uh, whether or not you get that job. So you need them to be working for you. Yeah, because it's, and it might be, we can't get this reference down. Yep. You won't get back to us. So we oh, have to go with, yeah, do you get a heap of that? We do. So, few uh, tips for referees, make sure that you prep them to know, look, I went to this interview, here's the role, here's what they were saying, expect a call in the next day, is that going to be okay, should I let them know any particular, let the employer or the recruiter know any particular availability, but also they were hammering me on teamwork 
in the interview or there seems to be this really consistent theme about theft about and theft in the workplace. Yeah. Just fraud. <laughs> uh, um, so, you know, please be ready to talk about my experience in that space. And hey, remember this really cool thing I did? Maybe if you were to mention that, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that would be awesome for me. The funny thing is I, on my resume... I just put like referees upon request. Yes, so good. At, do that. At least Perfect. Have you got a resume? It. Yeah, man. You, and what do you do with that thing? Well, you know, you never know. I actually had, I paid someone $300 ages ago to write mm-hmm. my resume for mm-hmm. me. Was that worthwhile investment? Yeah. Yeah. Because someone can speak about you better than you can speak about yourself. Well, it also removes, you have that person if you need it to say, let go of the fact that you won the 100 meter sprint in year nine. <laughs> yeah, it's not important. <laughs> it's not important. Uh, but that's perfect. So um, don't put your referee details on your resume unless you're specifically asked to. Because at least you just don't want someone getting a call out of the blue and put off guard. Absolutely. And you also want that opportunity to prep them. Yep. The final thing I'll say is that if you get asked for your referees, have them ready to go so that you can send those details over quickly. But it's actually the best indicator that you're down to the last one or two. You know, on my resume, front page, two short testimonies from mm. other people. Lovely. Yep. On your cover letter? No, no on the front page on the of the front resume. Page. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Add bullet points with key skills. Um, you know, what I'm ready to do, you know, um, yeah. and a couple of testimonies. Oh, by the way, I have those jobs. Like yeah. you'd almost in the door by the time they're reading you, you worked at that job two yeah. years ago. Well, I really like achievements yeah. ahead of responsibilities under each role for similar reasons. It's yeah. like, that's lovely that you've done those tasks. That's helpful for me to know, but what did you achieve is so yeah. much more powerful. So I often get asked to be a referee for, mm. for different individuals, but rarely, and I'd say maybe three times out of 10, I would actually get called. Uh, is that because they didn't make the final cut or the, the employer couldn't be bothered ringing referees? So I would say more the former. Usually we will only call referees if you're the last one person, you're our preferred candidate and we just want to do that final due diligence check or we're down to two and we're splitting hairs and we're trying to work out who gets the yeah. job. So I also get asked um, to do reference checks all the time and I actually hate doing them. They're hard. Well, um, so basically I had one just the other week. Anyway, this recruiter or somebody emailed me. They said, hey, we need you to complete the attached document fill it out and send it back to us. Mm. It was like 12 questions on this guy who... No way I'd be doing that. No, I forwarded it to the guy. Like, hey, bro, got this, fill this out, send it back to me and I'll send it on. Didn't even read it. (laughs) That's just lazy from them. Yeah, did that ex-employee of yours, did they give you the heads up that was coming? No, and that was a problem as well. Yeah. So I was, I had the poos because I didn't know it was coming, number Mm. one. Mm. Um, And number two... I don't have time to fill out 12 questions on someone I employed two and a half years ago. Yeah. yeah. And asking your referee to be your referee once two years ago or yeah. five years ago or even six months ago is not going to serve you well. Yeah, it's got to be relevant. Maintain that relationship. Yeah, yeah. So he did his own reference check because <laughs> mm. I don't care. I mean, and then other ones I've been like, ears. yeah, other ones I've just been like, hey, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Everything you say, it's all good. No issues here. Yeah. Got to go. Yeah. Okay. So if you ever work for Glenn, don't ask him to be your referee. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> well, no, I would have thought that a lot of people spend about that much energy on it because... Um, okay. I would spend more energy, John, if they were a horrendous person and I didn't think they deserved. And, and I've been straight down line with a lot of them as well. Because so I didn't think yeah. there was a, such a thing as a bad referee. But well, there can be if someone's so ignorant that yeah, if they're they caught up in their own world and they, they don't that think they were that, useless yeah. at their job and they ended right. up leaving. Yeah. So if they asked, if that person asked you to be their referee, would you say yes or no? I would say yes. Oh, I would say oh, yes. Oh, and then not be a good ref and then give them a bad reference. Oh, I do. I just give them constructive feedback, okay. which I've done. Yeah. Like, okay, this person's great, has high energy, but. You know, never been on time a day in their life. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, so know what you're getting yourself into. That's fair. And they still might employ them based on that. Yes. I I haven't had any train wreck employees though because I Mm, start well. You hire well. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. good. Um, Preparation's power. Giddy up. All right, let's move on. I've got some other questions. 
interviews, like, how scared should people actually be when they go to an interview, one, with you as a recruiter or your other colleagues in Mm. your profession, or two, to the actual interview? My belief is don't be scared at all. A little bit of nerves is good in life, means you care. Uh, But from a fear point of view, there's nothing to be scared of. Now, the trick is, remember, not everybody is comfortable interviewing or being the interviewer, rather, um, to be clearer. So you might actually be walking into the room with somebody sitting on the other side of the it's table more who's you. more nervous than you. And that can it can make life hard when you have got somebody that's not a skilled interviewer. So if you're meeting with somebody who works in HR or recruitment, typically they're probably going to be a more skilled interviewer and there is a skill to it. Uh, but anyone in that room could be nervous. The way I look at it is... It's a couple of people having a couple of adults having a conversation, trying to solve each other's problems. So when you're walking in that room, that employer or that recruiter is actually wanting you to succeed. They're wanting you to be awesome. They're wanting you to solve their problem. They're not setting you up to fail. Yeah, and I think if there's some kind of nervousness, it it means you care about that as well. Like if if you're not, there might be a little concern. Absolutely. So I think a little bit of nerves is good, fear, fear, Push it aside as best you can and just go in and have a chat with that person that wants you to be great. I've got some advice. Oh, just gen- general friends. Um, I always tell people when you're going to the interview, flip it. Oh, mm. Start interviewing ask, them. Ask, ask yep. them questions. Yeah. And, uh, but, but in all sincerity, you want to know what you're walking into. Yeah. Hey, what's the vibe like here? What do you guys, how's the workplace culture? Like, yeah. does everyone check out at 5 p.m. or are people happily wanting to finish a task and they'll walk out? Yeah. Totally. At and that's that initiative thing, Emily, yeah. isn't it, that we're talking about? Yeah. So, yeah. And that's why I say it. very deliberately, it's a conversation. Yeah. It's not a question and answer, it's a conversation and ask your questions as well. And yeah. I would say, sorry, I'm standing up just because I want to. Um, I would say, if we step back further, if your own personal financial life is in order and you don't, you're not riddled, is it riddled or riddled? Riddled, I think. If you're not riddled with debt and there's no financial stress and you do need to make a career change or you haven't been fired and you do have your emergency fund, if you're not desperate, you come across as a better person anyway. Yes. Nothing worse than a desperate salesperson. I dare say there's probably nothing desperate than a desperate candidate. And we know. We know from your resume. We know from your cover letter. We know from a phone call we've had with you. And we know when you walk in the door. Yeah. Yeah. Who's So, mm. chill out. And it's funny. When I got my job with the company that I did all my training with in finance, I had jobs. Like, I had four interviews at Macquarie Bank. Didn't get the role. Mm. I had interviews with other firms. Didn't get it. Had in. I was ready to go back to my trade. Mm. So at the end of it, I was over it. Mm. Went to the interview. I was late, number one. So the first interview. <laughs> number two, halfway through the interview, she's like, you seem really relaxed. Yeah. Because in my mind, I didn't care anymore. Yeah. And so it was just weird that I was so relaxed because I my life now wasn't hinged or on that one interview off this one interview because mm. i'm just like look i'll just go in i'm just going to chat to these people yeah do you think as well more of your true personality would have come out i think so because and this is like with this podcast stuff you get a better version of me if it's not prepared mm. because i can feel it and yeah vibe it's with like it. it's like turning up in tracksuit pants yeah yeah who would do that so to an interview you, you're getting a better natural version of oneself so we're looking at a slob right now, are we? <laughs> All right. So this next question, years ago, right now, maybe 15-ish, mm. I moved into state and I wanted some sort of employment for a six-month, 12-month period mm-hmm. and, and I applied for this aquatic centre management role, right? So to me, it was basically the highest role within the gym setup, yep. aquatic centre, et cetera. And went through the interview process, um, third stage, down to the last two. Okay, we'd like to offer you the position. Mm. Now, not at any stage along the way had I asked, well, what's the income or salary? Sure. And it wasn't until they emailed me the position that 
I saw the amount. Yeah. And did you do that deliberately, not ask? Or and, did and you? It, yeah. And I did do it deliberately. You're right. Because I was always told it's not about the money and mm-hmm. the money will come and all those sort of things. Right. But in hindsight, I was like, geez, this pay is crappy for what I think I need in my life, mm. but also deserve from the uh, relevant experience that mm. I've had up until then. So they've wasted their time and I've wasted my time. I've walked away from that position saying, look, this isn't going to be suitable. Um, we should have had some transparency early on. Did so, you have room there to go back and, and talk through the offer? Correct. So I went back and said, look, is there any wiggle room on this? Yep. And they changed it by $2,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, they were, without sounding arrogant, they mm. were 20 grand short. Sure. Yep. But that that was my fault, I think, because early on I should have said, look, Circa, what are you talking here for this position? Look, it's it's an interesting one. I think there are intricacies to it. I would suggest that to raise money through a recruitment process, if I'm sitting in my recruiter seat or my employer seat, that's a turnoff and Maybe that means that by the end of it, you might end up with a story like yours, John, and you feel like, well, we've wasted everybody's time. Yeah. That's just one of those risks of a recruitment process. Usually you should find that that recruiter or that employer will bring it up earlier, but that's not always going to happen. What I would suggest is absolutely take their lead. I think if you come out of the gates too early talking about money, unfortunately, you're just at risk of, be, of yeah, being perceived. Desperate. Yeah, yeah, desperate yeah. or like you don't a- care about and anything else. And the whole else. thing is like, and a lot of jobs won't, like if they're advertising on Seek or whatever, they won't put the salary because other work workers could see and there's probably some commercial sensitivities there. But I would imagine if you're back for a second interview, you could then be like, okay, so what does it look like in terms of remuneration? The best way to handle a conversation, particularly if you're going to raise it, or the best timing is when you've got a certain level of power. Yeah. When you've got power is when they want you. Yeah. And on that power thing, I was just about to do a segue to this. Rance Clark asks, I've been offered a new job, but I have have holidays planned and now I have annual leave. Should I still ask for time off? So the most powerful time in your career position or job position is before you get hired Mm. because they want you but you're not engaged yet so you've got that dance right and if i can make a link for you you have one of the only indicators unless they tell you in a recruitment process that they want you is that they're doing your reference checks because they're likely only going to do that if you are the preferred candidate or you're one of two. So that starts to give you a bit of an indication and that's why you don't put your referees on your resume so that they have to ask you for Uh, them so that you know. Yeah, so just final hurdle. Mm. The wording on my one is referees or references upon request. Exactly. Now, so Rance, I would say, and I'll just make a date up. So you've got holidays planned. Just tell them, hey, really keen. Um, but I've already got time booked in. Yeah, if you um, can work around me, that'd be so, nice. <laughs> well, basically, <laughs> but I need two weeks off at this date. If I, yeah. I'm happy to take leave without pay or bring forward leave, uh, but I can't change this commitment. Yeah, I agree with you. And I would say it's after the offer and before you've turned up on day one, before you've signed a piece of paper and yeah. turned up on day one, because that starts to become By a little bit too dishonest. <laughs> yeah. uh, but also I would like to hope that employers look at this as a look at you as a long-term investment and a two week holiday, no big deal if you're going to stay here for five years. Yeah. And then also um, on that, if you are changing jobs or careers, give yourself a week off. If like, and if again, if you've got your money situation sorted, if you want to give your notice, you got two weeks notice, tell them you can't start for a month. Just give yourself, give yourself two weeks off just to chill. and. I call that fun employment because you're unemployed, but you know you've got a job secure. Exactly. Mm. exactly. So why not? So don't just, again, we're just, don't just do things like, oh, my last day works on that Friday and the next Monday I'll start my job. Just give yourself a week or two. Totally. Like you've got the power, you've got the control and you'll be able to be refreshed ready for the new role you'll be better you yeah so that's awesome so yeah rance go for it um so millennials so basically anyone under 35 what's 
Like what are the hurdles that they're facing in job searches at the moment? Mm. Look, I think there's probably two main ones that are, are important to keep in mind. One of them is the wrath of social media. So I think everybody's probably heard this one before. It's uh, absolutely sort your professional social presence. Google yourself. Uh, check out your LinkedIn, maintain it, keep it up to date, know what is out there, Lock use down it. Your Facebook profile. Lock it <laughs> down. Yep. So gussy up your, your LinkedIn profile, lock down your Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and all of those things, and do a quick Google search and check what comes up. You might get a surprise. Yep. Mm. And also in Google search, Google your name and then click images. Yes. That's and scroll down about halfway and you'll yeah. find yourself somewhere. Yep. Yeah. So that's probably hopefully the biggest. On. Yes, hopefully. That, so that would probably be the biggest hurdle, the online yeah. footprint. Yeah. So that's one of them. The other one I would put out there, and I don't know if this is about to be a bit controversial. You guys can um, settle me down if it is. There is absolutely um, an identifiable, and it's a bit of a stereotype, but stereotypes come from somewhere, an identifiable characteristic of us millennials that we have high expectations and overconfidence and I see that and so I think this comes back to whether you're changing careers you're starting careers you're in your career just temper chill out chill uh, look at it as you don't need to be an overnight success maybe you're not worth what you think you are uh, and just one step at a time I, I reckon like if some, if you're in if you employ people out there and someone's bitching and moaning us like, oh, I can get more money elsewhere. Just okay, tell them. see ya. Go do it. Yeah. Dare ya. That's Go right. Yeah. Ya. Be yeah. humble. A little and, bit of and humility. And I think if they've got that confidence and call it ego if you want, because they have runs on the board and they or they have got superior qualifications or whatever it may mm. be, then so be it. Yeah, but let it talk for itself yeah, and for channel sure. that confidence in a really nice self-confidence way, not and an I egotistical think, I way. I think that's the issue that a lot mm. of employers might have is mm. uh, the way it comes across. Yeah, absolutely. Lack of patience. So just yeah. be patient. It's a bit of a... Uh, yeah. This is a good one. Laura Adams on Instagram, how to stand out as a uni grab when applying for jobs. Well, Yes, love I, this one. Yeah, this is great. If I can jump in first, Please. my advice would be get... If you're doing a degree in paper making, I don't know. What's a degree? Okay, let's, I'll rephrase that. If you're doing a degree in marketing, can you go and intern one day a week somewhere for free? Can you go and volunteer? Because if I've got a candidate, both of them have marketing degrees. That's hygiene. The one who has had two ounces of experience, I'm going to prefer possibly over someone without experience. That would be my layman's term way you need to just get out there and get involved in the field that you are interested in whether it's volunteer or internship yeah what it, would you say to new grads totally agree how else are you using those hours so something that i mean you've got three four five years while you're at university and absolutely you'll walk out of there with a piece of paper but i totally agree with you that's hygiene particularly if we uh, are talking about a uni grad because you are going to be competing against other uni grads. So what else will make you stand out? I, uh, when I went through my undergrad degree, I got an admin job in an engineering business. Yep. So it meant I learned how to answer the phone politely yeah. and how a business runs. And I was, some of the stories I've got as far as what I had to do. Yeah. My boss sent me out to chase his dogs down the street at one point and there were council workers and all sorts of things going on. But the amount that I learnt after three and a half years put me well ahead of well the ahead. game. Yeah, and yep. I think in general there's 168 hours in the week mm -hmm. and we're present at university for maybe 10 to 12 of those at maximum, I would have thought. Um, mm. So there's plenty of time to add value and, and get out there and, and, and I would encourage volunteering yes. um, first and foremost because if, you, if you're doing – the job and you're putting in the hours, then they'll start to pay you anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Or even for me, I did a bit of volunteering at the same time and that was more of a 
charitable thing, but it meant that I used my admin skills and I got to see the inside of a different business. So yeah. all of a sudden I'm collecting insights into what it's like in different offices. Yeah. So then when I start to interview and have those conversations around a graduate job, I've got a better sense for what I enjoy. I've got a better sense for the type of environment I want to work yeah. in. Yeah. It's really valuable. And I would say most uni grads or most grads, um, like think outside the square, like if you are under 30, and you are going for a job, Google them, look at their website and go in and say, hey, love to work for you. I don't have experience, but I am keen to get involved. Can I get the social media happening? Mm. Because it looks like crap at the mm. moment. So can can you stand out by doing something like that? Mm. Or if you do uh, take, say, if you've got somebody who's creative, work on your own social media presence so that you've got a bit of a portfolio when you turn up to apply for the graphic design job. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. And the question was how to stand out. You've got to stand out. Do People more. You've got to know you exist. Yeah. Totally. What else are you doing? Like mm. send your resume in. I don't know. Tape to a box of donuts. Mm. I don't know. Stand out. Mm. Be that one where they go, you are the one who sent the donuts in that's with right. the resume. Mm. Yeah. Stand out. It, just go above and beyond. Yeah. The other thing I would say is that across the board, only... 20% of jobs are advertised and that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're late in your career, early in your career, there's only 20% of jobs advertised. So what else are you doing to go and open up opportunities? And that job opportunity might never have been advertised, but if you are networking in whatever way, shape or form that looks like, there'll be something there for Join you. The lo like, so in Newcastle, your area, mm. uh, there's Hunter Young Professionals. Yes. Like it's a cool little vibe thing yep. just get connected yeah and universities have for example because i know about newcastle university of newcastle has a bizcom society but they also have many other societies across other disciplines and so would other universities yeah i would go as far to say that as a uni grad if you shouldn't have to apply to a um, for a position because you've done enough work in that four or five years mm. to walk straight into a position or be offered one because of the legwork that you've done in that time. Totally possible, but you have to do the work. Correct. Yeah. Josie Mind, Josie underscore Mind asks on Instagram, advice to give to somebody who is looking at changing their careers in their late 20s, good or bad advice? John, do, do what you love. Next question. <laughs> Yeah, it's 10 years versus 40. Yeah, look, uh, don't don't waste another minute doing something you hate. Yeah. Get yep. out there and change. Yeah, totally. And it, that and the first step could be going to see a recruiter and saying, hey, I'm in marketing. I think I like the outdoors. Can I use this marketing skill with the National Parks and Wildlife? Do you know any – I'm making stuff up on the spot here, but can you use your skill in a different industry that gives you passion? Just because you're in marketing and HR, oh, sorry, just because you're in marketing and PR, what about, and you love wildlife, can't you go and work for a company that their focus is wildlife mm. and use those skills? So just follow your dreams and passions. Yep. The raw page asks, and this one will be a good one for you, Emily, if you're not happy in your job, but scared to get a new job because the grass might not be greener. Very open question. So I think for me, it's about risk management again so what are the risks and how are you what is in your control how can you have a look at your situation and try and carve up what's making you not happy and then what are the chances that that is going to still exist wherever you are or not and, and is the grass was always greener concept because of maybe the social mm -hmm. media online pressure that people perceive that's out there? Yeah, possibly. Uh, it could. I thought you might have been about to go to the uh, expectations that are perhaps need to be tempered. You might not be able to earn the money that you want right now, but you could absolutely earn it down the track. And would your chances be higher if you stick at what you're doing and be patient? I don't know. Uh, but I think that it's about trying to work out, is this a situation that's relevant to me and so therefore I'm going to take it wherever I go or is it a situation where it's more about what's around me? So if I go and use this opportunity to learn more about myself and the type of environment I'm best in, it's not a grass is greener situation. It's actually finding better alignment in a business or in a position where I'm, I'm happier. Yeah, best version of you. Yeah. I, I would actually carve this up, Paige, you said you're not happy in your job. So let's actually work this out. If she's not. Yeah. 
if yeah, because she says if you're not happy in your job, yeah. so Paige is not happy in a job. Okay, is it an internal or external factor that's not happy in a job? Mm. Does she hate the toxic work environment? Does she hate whinging customers? Is it a career thing? She's not passionate about that job anymore. So if it's a career thing, the job might be fine. She's just checked out and moved somewhere else. Yeah. Is it a job thing where the people suck and she hates the customers? Mm. What can you control? So we need to decide, first and foremost, this place sucks. I need to get out regardless. Or this place sucks because I'm not passionate about selling cleaning products anymore. The rest should take care of itself once you get really clear on what the underlying pain point is. Yeah. And I would even say to Paige, a clarity call with John might even help that as a sounding board. So I think if you, as you, as you mentioned, outline what the issues are, address them and can they be fixed? So, because mm. there's a problem that's here for a week and then it goes away. That's right. If, if I've still got that same issue in six months and I physically can't do anything about it, then it may be time to move on. But I think people maybe prematurely jump because they think there's something better out there. And, and that's right. And if it's a problem, so I'll, I'll make up a dumb scenario. Um, you're expected to go to the Friday afternoon drinks at 7 p.m. or you're just not part of the team. But at those drinks, everyone's having nose beers and getting high and being crazy and that's not your vibe. Can you go to the management and say, hey, not vibing this part of the expectation, can this change? Yeah. Mm. And if they go, oh, yeah, don't come, it's all good. Yeah. Oh, well, I suddenly love my work. I just don't like snorting cocaine yes. every Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so it's just That's a, a good example. Yeah. It's like, what can you control? So mm. Yeah. But absolutely. it's been a, um, a great chat. Now, Emily. Solid. Do you have any other, I guess, final little nuggets or tips from the recruiter's chair that you occupy? Oh, I think motherhood statement, I just come back to that career self-reliance. Don't expect anything to be handed to you on a silver platter. Always be thinking about what is in your control, what you can be doing and have conversations. So I think you can apply that conversation piece to anything that we've talked about. Talk it out. If the person at the other side, whether they're a recruiter or an employer, doesn't come to the party in the conversation, they're probably not a place that you're going to be happy long-term anyway. So definitely uh, as you're working to secure a role or to to find that next job, have conversations. Um, It's also a great way if you are looking for something to do your research, have conversations with people that are in your network who might do that job. Um, They might be family members. They don't, you might be asking them, what do you do? Can you tell me more about how my skills might apply? So it's that networking piece. Um, the other one that we, uh, I didn't mention that I was thinking about when we were talking about money is, so from a super point of view, this is probably a pretty micro tip, yeah. but be really mindful that when you're negotiating or you're talking about salary, do you know whether it's inclusive or exclusive of super? Yeah, because, get clarity on that. Yeah, yeah, with my recruiter hat on, I know that there's been a few moments of misunderstanding and you get to the end of a process yeah. and that can make a significant difference. And it's only ever a problem if it's super included. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But that's your money as well. So Absolutely. sometimes we get a bit of a vibe that people go, oh, that's not... That doesn't really count. That's yeah. a 10% conversation, isn't it? It absolutely counts. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, so probably motherhood and then a bit of a micro tip at the end too. And preparation is power, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, now you're sitting here with five Don't give away my pages secrets. of notes and, and all these. Uh, th- this preparation has been sensational yeah. and it shows. Yeah. So thank you so much, Emily Bowen from Forsyth Recruitment and HR. Thank you, Thank guys. Thank you. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. If you are after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. In fact, it's a general advice podcast. But if you do want somebody to talk to, jump onto sortyourmoneyout.com and click on Get Help, and I'll be able to put you in touch with an advisor or a mortgage broker who can actually sit down with you or have a Skype or a Zoom meeting and really work out what you need based on your own personal circumstances. My Millennial Money supports A21. A21 is a non-profit organization that exists to abolish slavery everywhere. These guys rescue real people from human trafficking across the world. 
If you want to learn more about how you can contribute to the fight against human trafficking, check out a21.org forward slash au. Remember, we hang out on Insta at My Millennial Money. If you're a regular listener, you're welcome to join our Facebook group. If you want more money hacks, be sure to subscribe to My Millennial Money Express. It's short money hacks anywhere, anytime, right into your ears. Any advice in this podcast is of a general nature only and has not been tailored to your personal circumstances. Please seek personal advice prior to acting on this information. Before making a decision to acquire a financial product, you should obtain and read the product disclosure statement relating to that product. Opinions constitute our judgment at the time of issue and are subject to change. Neither the licensee, any of the National Australia Group of Companies, nor their employees or directors give any warranty of accuracy nor accept any responsibility for errors or omissions in this podcast. Glenn James, Urban Ghetto Proprietary Limited, trading a sort your money out, are authorised representatives of Apogee Financial Planning Limited, AFSL 230689. And for all of those who are long-time listeners of the show, like Emily. Hello, Emily. Hello again. Um, sit down, shut up, and get back to work. Yeah, look, talking before we, we came on air, she yes. knows more about the podcast than I do. I know, she does. Mm. It's it's funny. Cause, and uh, Yeah, so. I've just got a bit of an issue, guys. What is it? Just got a bit of an issue, guys. You're at a restaurant, okay? Mm-hmm. There's four people. I, I've taken this social issue into my own hands and I'm becoming a hospitality trainer, okay? So, there's four people eating and for argument's sake, or if there's three of us here eating, for argument's sake, and John was the slow eater. Mm-hmm. Now, Emily, we would finish eating, okay? Yep. Um, our plates would be cleared. John's halfway through because he's either a slow... He's either a slow eater or he talks has a been lot. Talking. The wait staff come and take our plates. Yep. Not vibing that, and it's horrendous, and it's not good etiquette. So you've talked about this before, have I? Something similar. Probably something similar. I'm with you. Yeah. Don't clear my plate. Don't clear my plate. Wait till my friends have eaten. So I'm at the point now when the wait staff come to take my plate. I got excuse. I'll just like to wait until. So I'm I'm being polite, but I'm mm-hmm. trying to train the the hospitality staff. Yes. So as the super <laughs> fan I am, yeah. I feel like last time this was about you starting to eat Glenn before anyone oh, else got that's their meal. Yes. Emily, you've, and uh, you've trumped me again. I feel like this is the opposite. <laughs> exactly. And, like I'm with you on the don't clear the plate. Yes. Yeah. But I'm also a don't start eating until everyone's got their meal. No. No. Okay. Couple of things. If it's hot. You can eat. Yeah. But also, I raise you. Yeah, I see your hand and I I call mm. your bluff. If you're at a class enough restaurant, they should bring them all out within 20 seconds of each other. Oh, totally. We shouldn't even have to solve this problem. Exactly. But if you're down at the bloody bistro where John probably eats, um, schnitty chips and salad, and they're coming out left, right and centre, whatever, don't care. Yeah, well, it's self-serve, so you're all eating together anyway. Yeah, and I guess for me... You know, you've got to always in life put yourself in someone else's position. So, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I don't care if someone else eats. Hmm. And the waiters don't care if your plate's gone. No, and that's what I'm trying to correct. <laughs> mm. It's not about you and your your, your finished plate. It's uh, just they've they've got to get things moving. Yeah, that's right. But mm. no, it's etiquette. Yeah, and mm. it's just you know I don't want you if you're a slow eater to feel bad. No, hundred percent. I agree. Mm. So there we have it. Just trying to think what we will do now. What what do I do? (laughs) Start with the first question. Yeah, okay. So you guys ready to so we're gonna, because I want to change it. I just want to get straight into content because mm. I'll put that banter at the back. And can you not wear just freaking daggy old clothes when you're here next? We've got guests here, John. <laughs> if if this was a visual, we could say what not to wear to interview. Yeah, basically, <laughs> the guys in tracksuit. Oh, oh, and you know he's rich. He's got trackies, but they're super dry ones. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
paid for the logo. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I was what just was distracted. The, what was this podcast about? I don't know or care. I just got distracted. So sorry. So yeah. I guess. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.